James three thirteen to 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have enough of this stuff from below. The stuff that comes from us. The stuff that comes from our hearts. Lord, we need this morning wisdom and life, the only kind of stuff that can come from above. We need something from outside of us to come to us and to deliver us from everything that is base and earthly and demonic. Lord, we need help from heaven, from you. And so, Lord, would you come now and give wisdom from above? Would you open our eyes and soften our hearts to hear and see the glory of your Son uh, presented to us in the gospel Lord, we desperately need help this morning. Would you do the same for our little ones as they head off to learn the Word of God and uh, to learn about your Son? Lord, would you soften their hearts, open their eyes, and be a saving presence among them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I know I'm praising God this morning for... For a godly mother, for a godly mother to my children, and so happy Mother's Day to, to all of you. It is a, a humble honor to, to get to serve you now, my church, as an elder and pastor. My prayer, uh, just over the number of months, and, and really um, this week has just been that, that we, would, we would see Jesus all the more bigger and more beautiful as we run after him together. And so I pray that that would come to fruition this morning as well. We're going to pick up our time this morning in the book of, of James. And in chapter 3, where, where we're going to be picking up this morning is, is a chapter in which James talks about matters of wisdom. Pastor Ben looked at how in wisdom, right, the, the follower of Jesus operates in wholesome talk, right? And we're going to pick up on that theme of wisdom here in chapter 3 also. Did you know that at least principally, if not explicitly, the Bible says that wisdom ought to be something you and I desire over and above everything else, right? 1 Kings 3 documents an episode in which the Lord comes to King Solomon in a dream and he says, if you can have anything in the world, ask for anything and I will give it to you. What's Solomon's response? He says, give me wisdom, right? And I think the, the Bible paints this picture of wisdom being something that we should desire more than any other because wisdom is how we live our faith in action. 
See, wisdom is a, a knowledge of and a, and a trust in God in, in such a way that produces a, a certain type of, of living in our everyday lives, in, in the minutia of our decision making, in the processes that, that we walk through every day that is honoring and pleasing to God. So what about you? If the Lord said you could have anything in the world, just ask. What would you choose? I want to suggest that wisdom might be the right answer. And if you're not convinced now, my hope is that by the end of the morning, the Lord, through his servant James, might convince us otherwise. God has a lot to say about wisdom and and how to live our life and and how it informs our decision-making and our, our living, but the world has a lot to say about that too, doesn't it? The world has, has much to say about how we ought to live. The world's full of instruction as how you and I should, should live and the decisions we should make and the, the processes that we should go through. And what's interesting is the world, the world cloaks this instruction as wisdom. It, it calls its wisdom, and this so-called wisdom abounds in our day, doesn't it? We have a TV channel that you can watch for 24 hours a day and learn how to build a house or remodel your kitchen or install a toilet. You can, you can do a Google search for anything and almost every result will give you information, but it will also inform you how you should apply that information to the way you live, right? You search for a recipe and all of a sudden articles start popping up about what sugars and what glutens and, and what grains and what branch chain amino acids you should either never eat or the next page might say you should only eat, right? Type in a search for anything and the world will tell you exactly what it wants you to hear and it will have instructions for you on how to apply that information to your life. The world abounds in what it calls wisdom. And that makes a lot of sense too. See, each and every one of us, whether, whether you know God or not, has, we, 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 have, we have memories of, of what it was like to walk with God in wisdom deep down in the fiber of our beings. Right? Whether, we, whether we realize that or not, there's something deep down that we recognize we were created for the purpose of walking with God in nearness and in intimacy and in His wisdom. And there's some stir of that echo deep down in us. You and I try to manufacture and and capture and chase down and, and Google search wisdom all day because we want to get back to that created purpose in which God made us. But oftentimes we fail to realize that that wisdom that we so desperately desire can only be found in God. And so the world, the world has an answer. What does the world do? It, it recognizes this opportunity. It sees the demand and it, it mass produces wisdom in Costco size, bargain bin wholesale quantities for us to devour. And in our sin, we, we desperately want that wisdom, but we, we want it apart from God. We believe the lie of the world that says you can have all the wisdom that you want and you don't even need God to get it. And so what do we do? What do we do, church, in a, in a situation like this? Because there are times where, where the pain is, is so real. 
There are times where the questions of life are so daunting. There are, there are times where, where what we see happening all around us in our world is, is confusing and, and chaotic. And even in the best of intentions, we go looking for wisdom. We're searching for the answers. We're, we're desperate. We're, we're typing into our keyboards almost a, a digital prayer to the God of Google, hoping that we might gain wisdom for how to face another day. I want to suggest we can turn to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 for our answer. See, James was, James was warning his people of the very same dangers of thinking that, that a wisdom apart from God, that, that a knowledge apart from God would suffice in living a life after God. Walking in, in godly wisdom, friends, is, is one of the most powerful one of the most beautiful expressions of, of the kingdom of God pressing back into his people. It's one of the most powerful expressions of God drawing us back to Eden, giving us a, a foretaste of reality as it was meant to be. And I want us to discover, church, together that what that might look like for us this morning. We're going to see that there are, there are two different types of, of wisdom, if you will. We're going to begin by looking at what we're going to call counterfeit wisdom this morning. We're going to see through, through its source, through its marks, and, and through its fruit that it is altogether a fake, empty, hollow wisdom that does nothing for us. And then we're going to, we're going to wrap up our time by looking at, at real wisdom, at godly wisdom that comes from above. And we're going to take in its source, its marks, and its fruit as well. And then my prayer this morning is that by the end of our time together, we're going we're gonna to leave here recognizing that there is a wisdom that is altogether better, altogether more beautiful, altogether more powerful than any wisdom the world could possibly offer us. A number of years ago, a man was arrested at a Dairy Queen. Now, this is a true story. You're going you're gonna to find this hard to believe. He was arrested at Dairy Queen for using a counterfeit bill to buy a $4 blizzard. Now, the young high school gal that was behind the cash register must have, must have been very intelligent and, and had a real keen eye for U.S. currency because the counterfeit bill that this man tried to buy a $4 blizzard with was a $200 bill. And the president that was on the face of this $200 bill was George W. Bush. And on the back side had the White House with an oil rig in the front lawn. True story. Cops were called and, and he was arrested. Now, that's a, a ridiculous story of an attempt at using something counterfeit. But did you know that there's a, an entire branch of our U.S. Secret Service dedicated to finding and eliminating counterfeit U.S. currency. They spend hours and hours in their training studying counterfeit currency, studying real currency, so that when they see the fake, they can spot it and remove it from, from circulation. I want to suggest that we are going to be conducting some of the same training here this morning. Only we're not seeking to identify counterfeit U.S. currency we're seeking to identify what James would consider a counterfeit wisdom that we should flee and run from. See, like the Secret Service agents, we're going to spend some time with, with the counterfeit first. 
And we're going to look at its source, its marks, and its fruit. And we're going we're gonna to be able to identify it. And we're going to be able to see how it's fake. But then we're going to spend some time looking at, at the real wisdom. We're going to look at the wisdom from above. And we're going to see its source, its, its marks, and its fruit so that we can recognize it too and, and run after it. See, for you and me, there's far more online than just a $4 blizzard, right? James would suggest recognizing this counterfeit wisdom for what it is, is a matter of life and death. It's a, it's a matter of heaven and hell. And so turn with me now to, to verse 13. Uh, before we d- dive into this investigation, there's, there's a little introductory work that we have to do to, to grasp James' thought process here. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. James is, is asking this rhetorical question of his audience, knowing full well that there were many who, who claimed to be wise. He had, he had just addressed those who wanted to be teachers in the first part of chapter 13, and now he's addressing the, the self-proclaimed wise in this congregation. We could, in a sense, read, read this question more as a challenge. He says, so, there's some of you who think you're wise, huh? Let me see it. I want, I want to see your wisdom. And that's an interesting thought. Because I think for most of us, when we think wisdom, we think of something internal. Right? We think of a, a knowledge or a mastery of something going on on the inside. And yet, what James says is if you're wise, it will be demonstrated in your external life. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ryan walked us through chapter 2 where James proclaims that a faith without works is a dead faith, right? You remember that sermon. In a very similar sense, James is proclaiming here, wisdom without external indicators, like meekness and humility, which he mentions, is a fake wisdom. It's a dead wisdom. It's a a hollow wisdom. He's saying that the good work of our faith are to be done in meekness and humility, which are both the outcome of this right godly wisdom we're discussing this morning. And so we see James addressing his congregation, saying, if there's some of you who are wise, I want to talk about what wisdom's going to look like. I want to talk about what wisdom lived out is going to look like. And now we're ready to examine these two different wisdoms. Jump down to verse 15. We're we're going to come back to 14, but I want to start in 15. It's our first clue to the fact that there's more than, than one type of wisdom at play in the world. Look at it with me, verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So what we see from this verse is that there are, there are two different wisdoms in James' mind. One, the real wisdom, as, as we'll come to find out soon, is from above, he says. It's, it's divine. It's, it's heavenly. While the other, this, this, this counterfeit wisdom, is, is the fake wisdom from, from below. Now, some of you might have the NIV translation with you this morning. And if you look in verse 15, there's quotation marks around that word wisdom. I think that's really helpful. The, the editors of the NIV wanted to make sure that the essence of what James was talking about in this verse was captured. See, in James' mind, we might call it wisdom. The world might sell it as wisdom. But what he's getting at and what the NIV editors captured was this was no actual wisdom at all. We're going to call it wisdom, but that's not what it is. And so right away, there's, there's no question 
in James' mind that we're dealing with two totally opposing different types of wisdom. And what does James say is the source of this wisdom? It's not heaven, right? It's not from above, but rather it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Literally, it's devilish. The source of this counterfeit wisdom is the, the enemy of God. It, it comes from below. It's, it's birthed from hell. That's what James is saying when he says that this wisdom is demonic. It's, it's brought about to accomplish the will and plans of God's enemy. And what's dangerous is how subversive this wisdom is. See, many of us don't even, even, don't even recognize this counterfeit wisdom because it hides itself in things like TV commercials that are, that are trying to sell us, sell us dishwasher detergent. Right? And we think on the surface we're being sold dishwasher detergent. But in the background, this counterfeit wisdom is actually peddling this fake wisdom informing us on what our families should look like and what kind of houses we should live in and what neighborhoods we occupy. And all of a sudden, we're, we're caught in the grip of this, of this counterfeit wisdom. And it's, and it's almost this subliminal message that the world is peddling. And it's deep and it's insidious. And James says, it is of the enemy. And this counterfeit wisdom is not new either. Our world may offer it to us in different ways that, that, are, that are different than in James' day. But I want to suggest it was as powerful then as it is now. And it wasn't new then either. See, we need to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden to find its true source and to see that, that this counterfeit wisdom penetrated our world the moment Eve bought into the lie that she could rely on the serpent's wisdom over and against God's wisdom. Our first parents exchanged the nearness of God, the, the intimacy with God, the wisdom of God for the wisdom of a snake, and it has been the rule and pattern of the world ever since. So James says this, this wisdom is earthly, meaning it's, it's of the world. It's a, it's a wisdom that is created, manufactured, and finite. It's earthly. He says that it's unspiritual, meaning it's not of, of God, but it's of the flesh. It doesn't share with it the divine attributes of God. It's unspiritual. And then he says it's, it's demonic. It's devilish. It, it advances the devil's agenda. Now, this is, this is powerful language to talk about this counterfeit wisdom. But I think James uses this powerful language very intentionally. What he's communicating using this powerful language is, is this counterfeit wisdom is not just a, a variance of God's wisdom. It's, it's not just one degree off. It's not a, another option to God's wisdom. What, what language like this is communicating is that this wisdom is altogether different and opposed to God's wisdom. See, we can't be followers of Jesus and say, man, I, I think there's some good here. I think there's something I can glean from, from this counterfeit wisdom. This language communicates to us that if it's from the above, if it's advancing the devil's agenda, there is no place for this counterfeit wisdom for the people of God in the kingdom of God. What we see James doing here is carrying on this theme of double-mindedness. Right? He's, he's used this theme throughout his letter that, that communicates this idea that you can't have one foot in the kingdom of Jesus and, and one foot in, in the kingdom of the world. And so throughout the letter, James is, is giving this ongoing exhortation that there is no place for double-mindedness among God's people. A faith made visible 
is a faith that is wholly allegiant to Jesus and his kingdom. Now, are we going to, to operate and walk in that perfectly? By no means. But what James is saying is that we would have a single mind, a single desire, a single motive to pursue Jesus. There's no place for double-mindedness. So we recognize that this counterfeit wisdom is not from God. It's, it's not from above, but rather it's from below. And now we're going to look at the marks of this counterfeit wisdom. The marks of this counterfeit wisdom are bitter envy and selfish ambition. Look at verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. What James is saying is that under the, the cloak of this wisdom, bitter envy and selfish ambition are the marks of the true way of life, of that true way of life. And so we could almost think of it as, as the old Scooby-Doo cartoon. You guys remember Scooby-Doo? The end of every episode, right? They'd be chasing the bad guy and all of a sudden they'd get him and one of the members of the gang would rip off the mask, right? And it was always the evil villain that they'd been chasing all along. That's a little bit of this worldly wisdom, right? It, it masks itself as wisdom. It, it cloaks itself as good and helpful. And, and when, you, when you rip off the mask of this counterfeit wisdom, what you find is bitter envy and selfish ambition, cloaking itself as humility and meekness, cloaking itself as, as wanting to, to grow in, in godly ways, and yet you take off that mask and you find bitter en envy and selfish ambition. James is telling us if, if you think you're wise, right? That's the question he began with. If you think you're wise and bitter envy and selfish ambition rule your heart, you're denying the truth of what wisdom really is. Real wisdom is, as James pointed out, is, is demonstrated with, with meekness and humility. It's, it's demonstrated with a, a heart bent towards others. And yet he says this counterfeit wisdom deep down in its, in its core is, is a heart bent towards yourself. It's a, it's a heart bent towards jealousy, a jealousy that would, that would bring about anger and, and a selfish ambition of wanting to to see myself propped up. Now, what, what might a counterfeit self-centered wisdom uh, uh, sourced in this bitter envy or selfish ambition look like? How would we recognize it? I think, I think it might actually be seen in the American dream. I think, I think the American dream might actually be this counterfeit wisdom cloaked in goodness. Right? The American dream says, says that, that we're to continually advance in our profession. That we're to, to, to continually go after the, the picture-perfect home and to, to be in the right neighborhood and have our kids in, in the right schools and to continually go after that, that promotion and put our best foot forward and, and act a certain way when the boss is around and, and advance in such a way that I, I might actually even throw my colleague under the bus behind a closed door if it's going to help me get there. Right? The world says wisdom is to always be asking, what's best for me? What's best for my family? Climb the ladder, achieve your aspirations, assert yourself, promote yourself, talk yourself up. After all, wisdom would say, if you're not going to look after you, no one else will. And yet, what does Jesus say? 
Jesus never said assert yourself. Jesus never said promote yourself. He actually said deny yourself. The source of this counterfeit wisdom is from below. It's earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. The, the marks of this counterfeit wisdom are bitter, envy, and selfish ambition. But let's look now at the fruit of this counterfeit wisdom. See, examining the fruit, seeing, seeing the outcome or, or the results of this counterfeit wisdom is very important. Right? The whole idea of, of making something a counterfeit is to, to try and fool you into thinking it's real. Right? A good counterfeit doesn't make a $200 bill with George Bush on the front. You're not getting any blizzards doing that. This fake worldly wisdom can, can be so near to the, to the real thing. It can look so authentic and, and have the appearance of coming from above that, that we might actually be fooled into thinking it's the real thing until we see what it produces, until we taste its fruit. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, remember those are the marks of worldly wisdom, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is where the rubber meets the road for James. In James' mind, this counterfeit can be hard to spot at times. It can be difficult to recognize until that is you see the fruit and you taste it and you recognize it's altogether nasty. Disorder and every vile practice. See, what makes this, this worldly wisdom so dangerous in its, in its subtle masquerading is it can be so hidden that even as Christians, we can fall into it. Subliminally, we're watching families operate around us. We're seeing our neighbors interact and, and pursue things. We're, we're watching the TV and we're, we're seeing the way our lives are, are supposed to look. And, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves in the grip of this counterfeit wisdom. And, and, and this counterfeit wisdom starts manifesting itself in, in a disorder in our lives. All of a sudden, things that were never really that important to us start to become really, really important. And then when, when those things switch places on our priority scale, all of a sudden we find ourselves maybe cutting some t- corners, maybe, maybe operating in, in a lack of integrity, doing things we never would have done to chase after things that were never important to us. Disorder and every vile practice. I think it might be easier for us to understand what the fruit of this counterfeit wisdom looks like uh, if we see some examples of it being played out. One of the fruits of this counterfeit wisdom, I think, is, is when churches split. Disorder and every vile practice, right? It's, it's counterfeit wisdom that would drive someone to be, to be so offended or, or so hurt that they would start gossiping about a leader, or that they would, they would try and find factions within a congregation and cause divisiveness and, and cliques start forming over something like children's Sunday school being cut from the regular ministry of a church. I've seen that happen. I've seen that disorder and vile practice play out in a church and it splits over the loss of a Sunday school program. I think that's the, the counterfeit wisdom of the world operating in, in, in someone's life and mind. Another of the fruits of this counterfeit wisdom, I think, is, is divorce. Disorder and every vile practice. It, it's, it's counterfeit wisdom that could drive someone to think that, that they've fallen out of love and that God would want them to be happy 
And so they are to, to, to go pursue someone else that will, will make them feel that emotion rather than leaning in and reconciling and pursuing the person that they entered into marriage covenant with. That's counterfeit wisdom that would let us get to thinking that way. The fruit of this counterfeit wisdom is often painful and ugly disorder and every vile practice when you see it play out to its furthest extent. So we have to remember this morning, we're, we're trying to be the secret service agent. We're trying to examine this counterfeit wisdom, see it in its true light so that we can compare it to real wisdom. And at the end of the day, make an assessment of saying, which one do I desire? Which one do I want to pursue? Which one is God leading me in? We just got done looking at the fake. We had it under our magnifying glass. We've been expecting its source, its marks, and its fruit. And we saw what it produces is ugly. But what about the real thing? What does James have to say about real wisdom? Let's begin by looking at its source. He says the counterfeit wisdom that is not the wisdom that comes from above. So this, this real wisdom is the one that comes from above. Its, its source is God and God alone. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. Now Solomon, he knows that. He experienced that. You can have anything you want. I want wisdom. Wisdom comes from the Lord, he says. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The source of real wisdom is God himself, which, which makes sense if we think back to the echoes of creation, right? If real wisdom was lost when man bought into the serpent's counterfeit version, for us to ever get the real wisdom back, it has to be restored, it has to be regiven, it has to be renewed and transformed by God, the giver of it in the first place. God alone is the giver of wisdom. And so we see a major difference right away, don't we? The counterfeit wisdom is from below, sourced through Satan and his devilish tactics, while real wisdom is from above, sourced through God himself to accomplish his good and perfect will. But what about the marks of real wisdom? How do those stack up against the counterfeit version of selfish ambition and bitter envy? Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James says when, when you are walking in the wisdom that comes from above, that only God can give, it is marked by these seven attributes. So let me ask you, when you hear that list of seven characteristics, does it, does it make you think of anything else that the Bible says God gives to his people. I think there might be a connection here for us to the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lays out in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Listen to the similarities. James says the marks or fruit of walking godly wisdom are purity, peace, gentleness, being reasonable, being full of mercy and good fruits, impartiality and sincerity. Now hear what Paul says. The marks or fruit of walking in the Spirit are love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This isn't a one-to-one list. But I think what it's communicating to us is when we are walking in the wisdom that is from above, that God gives us, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
the marks of that wisdom and the fruit of that spirit is going to have similarities in it in the way that we live in righteousness, reflecting the image that God is. Those marks can be found perfectly in the character of our God. I want to make sure and encourage us to recognize, though, that that these two lists, the, the fruit of wisdom and the, the fruit of the Spirit, they're not, they're not checklists, right, that, that we need to always be doing a, a status check on as if we could say, okay, uh, purity, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty good about that one. Um, peace, okay. Uh, oh, being reasonable, that, that one's not for me, right? Like, I, I don't do that one so good. But, but you know, um, sincerity, I'm sincere. I've got that one, right? That, that's not how, how these... These lists of, of characteristics are, are to be understood. Rather, I think they're almost like a, a DNA chain. That when you have been recreated by God, empowered and, and filled by His Holy Spirit, these characteristics become your DNA. They become the way you are marked. And so we, we, we strive for those. We look for those. I want to encourage you, if, if there's a few of these where you say, that just isn't me, that, that's not evidence in my life, I want to encourage you, you might be in the grips of this counterfeit wisdom and you need to, to, to see that and repent of that and turn from that and say, Spirit, fill me. Give me your fruit. Give me your marks of, of wisdom that I might live for your glory. And let me just say, the, the fact, the fact that God gives you His Spirit that he, he gives you his wisdom is great news for you as a believer. The very spirit of, of God who raised Christ from the dead, who, who gave him power to set his mind on accomplishing his Father's will, that very same spirit is in you, empowering you to follow Christ, giving you wisdom to, to face the world and live every day. It's the, it's the spirit that, that allows your heart to bend towards the good of your neighbor and fight against that, that selfish ambition. These are good things that the spirit gives in God's wisdom. And so we've seen the source. We just looked at the marks. Let's now look at the fruit of this real wisdom from above. Verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest. The crop, the, the produce of this real wisdom from above is, is not disorder in every vile practice, but it's a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness by those who make, it, make peace. That is a massive difference in the outcomes of those two different wisdoms. I don't know about you, but I want to be in a community that is marked by righteousness, by abundant harvest of righteousness rather than disorder in every vile practice. James says that this fruit, this, this outcome is brought about by godly men and women walking in real wisdom, making peace. James is powerfully highlighting the difference in outcomes of these two types of wisdom. Counterfeit wisdom produces disorder. It brings about church splits and, and div- divorces and strife. And real godly wisdom produces harvests of righteousness and peace. This harvest of righteousness, this, this crop of, of godliness, the, the fruit of the marks we looked at a moment ago can only grow in the climate of peace. This harvest is brought about in the climate of peace. 
in places where God's people, as they walk in his wisdom and are empowered by his spirit, are putting the glory of God and the need of others over themselves. The climate of peace. People moving towards one another. People reconciling over sin. Coming together in unity. Climates of peace that bring about the righteousness of God. And notice James doesn't say by those who keep peace, but rather by those who make peace. It's a really important distinction that I think we need to make this morning. There's a big difference between keeping peace and making peace. See, if you're a peacekeeper, there are things that you will never say or never do as to not disrupt or rock the boat in certain relationships that you have or, or in communities that you're in, right? If you're just trying to keep the peace in your marriage, you know there is that one topic. There's that one word. There's that one situation that you will never bring up because you know it's the pin on the grenade that starts World War III. And so to keep peace, you avoid that thing like the plague. If you're a peacekeeper as a parent, you know there's times when your two kids are running to you for the 19th million time, fighting over the same toy, asking you to be the mediator. Who should get to play with this? And in a moment of peacekeeping, you take it, you put it on top of the fridge and say, fine, nobody gets it, right? These examples are, are examples of peacekeeping, not peacemaking. See, peacemaking in both of those situations would require sitting down and having a conversation face-to-face in intimacy, starting to peel back layers of the onion, getting down to the heart level, the, the sin level, right? It would be looking at your kid, kids and saying, why is it that, that you want that toy so badly? You haven't touched that thing in 30 days, and yet your brother has it, and now you want it. Like, what's going on in your heart to cause that strife? It's sitting down with your spouse face-to-face in intimacy, rehearsing the gospel with them, reminding them that, that Jesus loves them and, and he has the power to make them new and to, to recreate them. And, and we can walk through this, this area that brings stress and, and brings pain, but, but it's going to take time and it's going it's to take, take some, some, some investment. That's peacemaking versus, versus peacekeeping. And Jesus, or James says it's, it's in this climate of peacemaking that the harvest of righteousness grows, that the wisdom of God flourishes. Now here's the truth this morning. James is making this call for God's people to recognize the world's wisdom as a counterfeit and flee from it. He says, you've seen the counterfeit, run from it. Recognize the goodness of the wisdom of God and pursue it. But here's the truth this morning. You and I can't do that. Can't do it. There will be times that you fall for the counterfeit. There will even be times where you choose the counterfeit on purpose. Right? There's times when I know that's the world's wisdom. That's not godly. And yet I take a hard left turn and I run after it. But there's good news for us this morning. The gospel knows that. See, our God is a peacemaking God. He's not a peacekeeping God. 
He's a peacemaking God. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, on a peacemaking rescue mission. See, if God was a peacekeeping God, here's what would happen. He would have created man, it would have gone awry, and he would have said, whoa, let's just let this thing play out, hands off, and then we'll enter in back at the end. Just keep the peace. But he's a peacemaking God. He rolls his sleeves up. He enters into the mess. He gets to that face-to-face level. He gets to the heart. He starts peeling back the layers of the onion. The Spirit starts working on your heart. It's fleshing out your sin. He's giving you wisdom to, to flee from the counterfeit, to pursue the godly. Our God is a peacemaking God. The goodness of the gospel is that Jesus came. He rolled up his sleeves. He got in the mess. He took your sin upon the cross. He wants to give you his wisdom. He wants to give you his spirit. He wants you to walk in the fruit of his wisdom. Our God is a peacemaking God. It's good news. We can pursue godly wisdom because of the power of the gospel. That's good news, my friends. And then, as you're in Christ, as you've received him as the maker of your peace through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, and when his spirit comes to, to you, you're able to receive this real wisdom from above. And then there's this crazy thing that starts to happen. You start to rest in that union with him. You start to abide and trust in him. And he begins to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And he becomes more beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful. And, and this magnetic pull that he has on you just becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. There's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Campion, Caspian. Some of you have probably read or seen it where, where Aslan has, has just rescued Lucy after not seeing her for a while. And this is what she says. Aslan, you're bigger. Aslan answers, that's because you are older, little one. And Lucy says, not because you are? I'm not, Aslan said. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Here's the truth. Our Jesus, he can't be any bigger. He can't be any more beautiful. But as you rest in him, and you grow in what, what theologians call sanctification, as you grow in your Christ-likeness, as you rest in Him, He becomes bigger to you. He becomes more beautiful to you. And you walk in the godly wisdom that, that He offers. If that's true, and dear friends, it is absolutely true. May we ask and pray that He would use us to sow not disorder and evil, but to harvest peace and righteousness in our relationships in our communities, and in all the places that we live, learn, work, and play. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that instructs us. It is profitable for for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I believe part of that is to recognize what's fake, what tries to, to capture us, and to recognize what's altogether better and more beautiful. So Jesus, would you, would you hold us? Would you keep us? Would you become bigger and bigger to us, more and more beautiful, that we would desire your wisdom and power?
love you. We praise you.